0: you audition like where the monologues happen like at home base
1: oh they put
0: you there when the there's no band so it's just empty behind you they film it and then at a long table in front of you the senior cast members the head writers supervising writers and the and like lauren and the producers and you're just like jesus christ that's like any everyone whose opinion i could ever possibly care about is like (laughs) 15 feet for me
1: Welcome to the WWSD podcast. Weekly, we share discussions with interesting and creative people. We are sponsored by Collectors Base. You can check them out at CollectorsBase.com for all things related to Phantom. I'm your host, Josh. And as always, I'm joined by my buddy, Seamus. How's it going, Seamus? It's
2: going great, man. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm really awesome. excited tonight, Seamus. Uh, who do we have on tonight? Oh, man. Tonight, we got a pretty cool guy. A, uh, he's a pretty interesting guy. He's an author. He's a comedian. He's a former SNL staff writer. I'm proud to introduce Alan Linick.
0: Alan, it's a pleasure
1: having you on the podcast. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. It's good to meet you guys and like chat.
2: <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, my pleasure.
1: Yeah, well, you're actually our first SNL guy, so we're we're kind of excited to talk <laughs> Ooh, to someone. Yeah. worked on something we're so
2: fond of. Are you? Uh, are you? Are you tired of talking about SNL? No, I. It
0: was it was such a fun experience, and it so much happened that like I feel like there's always new stuff to talk about. And it, if I'm your first SNL guy, it makes perfect sense because you want to start low and then like
2: <laughs> and then or climb. You know what I mean? Like
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. If you lead off with Kate McKinnon, then like, wh- who do you go? Where do you go from there?
2: Yeah, could you put us in touch with her?
0: <laughs> I'm, yeah. just, I'm, I'm just joking. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: so, how, how did you, um, how did you get into writing and comedy? Oh, that's a good question. I
0: feel like I've always been into comedy growing up.
1: Were you a funny kid in high school? E-
0: in a way. <laughs> You thought you were funny, right? <laughs> in a in a way. Well, the the all right, we're gonna, I guess we'll start here. The truth is is that when I was in high school, I have exactly two pictures in my high school yearbook. One is my like a look, it's Alan photo. Um, in like the here's everyone who went to high school pictures. And then the second one is I won the superlative for most likely to be on SNL someday.
2: Oh, seriously? <laughs> oh that's, yeah, that's awesome. So
0: there's a picture of me like like doing little t-rex hands with like a mask on which i i guess at the time i thought would be a hilarious photo so <laughs> i i mean i've always been drawn to it but i it didn't really occur to me uh, that like it could be a career path is like i think a hurdle everyone who is interested in anything creative has to jump at some point where they're like man i sure love painting well, better go to med school. You know what I mean. Like, it, it, the, you there. You have to like cross that line where you're like, oh yeah, that's also a job. Like the people that I emulate and like watch on TV or like see in movies or whatever. Or like that for me it was the whose line is it anyway, guys? Where I was like, damn, I forgot that they get paid to do this and uh, just have fun, right? Like I was like, what? That seems unfair. But I stumbled over a program when I was in college called comedy studies. Which was kind of a joint uh, study abroad thing that Columbia College Chicago and the Second City were doing, and applied and went to Chicago for like a couple of months, and it was it just changed everything. I er, everything I had thought about what I was doing with my life until then, like completely changed.
1: Where were you going to college
0: for? I started. I went to James Madison in Virginia. Started as a political science major. Oh, there you go. Okay. Realized very quickly I didn't want to do that much reading and (laughs) then switched to an English major creative writing minor. Still did reading. I, I I wasn't very smart. I just I was like, boo. I don't want to read about like whatever random like Thomas Friedman book had just come out. I'd rather read like satanic verses by Salman Rushdie and write about that. So that's what I did. And that book rules, by the way. So if you haven't read it, I've uh, I've heard good things. Very solid. I wrote an, i wrote a very compelling paper about it. That's cool. What'd you get on it? Uh, I uh, probably, probably a B.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess it wasn't that compelling.
0: (laughs) I mean, uh, it was good. You know, it was good, but honestly, like my professors didn't know what to do with me. You know what I mean? You were way ahead of your time. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah.
2: You were at second city uh, in in college, right? Did, Did you end up going back afterwards or?
0: I did. While I was in Chicago, I enrolled. I like, I did it all. I was like, I'm going to live, eat, and breathe comedy 100% 24 hours a day. So I did the comedy studies program during the day. Uh, on the weekends, I took classes at IO and I started level one at Annoyance. And then pretty much every single night, I was in one of the theaters watching some kind of improv sketch or stand up show. Truly, I think. Very rarely me and some friends from that program would like hang out and play Mario Tennis on N64. But like <laughs> five out of seven days of the week, I was like seeing shows and like absorbing everything.
2: How much, um, how much reforming were
0: you doing during that time? Ooh, not really any aside from doing like, you know, whatever exercises in the classroom or in, like on a stage during class time at IO or whatever that was like a, another thing where that took me a while to realize is like, you can just go and do the stuff. Like you don't have to wait for somebody. I, that, that's the one thing I wish someone had told me like coming up was like, yeah, you don't have to wait to get like hired or cast or okayed or audition for. So you can just like make your own shit. Like you can find people you like to hang out with and write with and perform with and just book you know rent out a space or use your iphone and put stuff on youtube like you can do literally anything at any time it's-
1: especially in this day and age with like the instagram the tiktoks yeah. the youtube like it's, it's so easy to get out
2: there and get your shit seen 100 we, percent. we've heard a lot of a lot of comedians that we've had on and said the same thing like they they didn't know they didn't know they could just go do that or they didn't know that this that this was a thing they could do like I thought they like a permission <laughs> slip or something because
0: well, <laughs> like i feel like in when you see interviews uh read what like memoirs or whatever from people who've kind of like made it, whatever that means. It, it's a lot of like them laying out like a, almost like a path, like, well, I started here and then I ended up here and then I ended up here. And so I feel like coming into it, you feel like, okay, if I want to end up where XYZ person that I look up to ended up, I have to walk the same path. And that involves like taking classes from this place and trying to get cast in this show or, you know, auditioning for this thing and what they I think what's getting left out there a lot of the time is like we're also putting up our own independent stuff that's being seen by like crowds of 10 people <laughs> at like random black box theaters you've never heard of and like refining and like testing and doing all kinds of there's like so much growing and like stuff that happens there that I feel like gets left out
1: yeah a lot of people see success as like an overnight thing and they don't see yeah. the struggle and like all the work that goes into it
0: yeah, it's, it's a war, like, entertainment is a, just a war of attrition. Like, you do it long enough, hard enough, someone will see you. Like, there's no, there's no like, easy path or, like, universal line to get from point A to point B. Yeah,
1: every person's different. It's random. It's luck sometimes. Sometimes the shit happens. So you, so you weren't really performing. When did you actually get to the point where you did start going up and performing? Like, what was that hurdle? Like, what would you have to overcome for that besides knowing that you can do it?
0: I started when I when I got back, like after I graduated, my senior year was a misery, by the way, because mm-hmm. I, I got back to college and was like, I know what I want to do. And nothing about this place has that for me. Uh, <laughs> so I just like like limped my way to the finish line of graduating. And then tr- like that summer, two weeks later. I packed everything I had into a duffel bag and a backpack and I moved to Chicago to an apartment. I had seen pictures of, but oh, never actually stepped foot in. I did the Amtrak train there. Cause I was like, it'll be cheaper than flying. And I, I gotta say, I can't recommend flying enough after having <laughs> done the Amtrak ride. Cause also I sat and I forgot about this actually, but I sat next to the guy I sat next to on the train ride out. It was like a, 14 hour train ride um, was just a guy who fucking loved trains. <laughs> he didn't like, he didn't have any, he wasn't going anywhere. Oh, this this is my third ride. How about you? <laughs> he But truly he was like having a good time. And I was like, no,
2: I, <laughs> ain't she a beaut?
0: <laughs> I, my seat doesn't recline and it's one in the morning, I, but it was wild. And he was full of facts about Amtrak that I probably forgot. <laughs> And it just had he had the time is life. I was like, damn. But you know what? Hey, as someone who was moving out blind to pursue a passion, I guess like, you know, if he loves trains, then fuck, he's just doing it. Yeah, <laughs> dude,
1: like he's happy as hell. He probably made his day just talking trains with him or something. I, tr-
2: I
0: listened. I didn't have much to add. Yeah, he's, like, yeah. he's like, you're you're really cool. Usually, nobody's interested in this stuff. He's like, did you know trains don't actually have wheels? They're cones. I was like, wow. I cool didn't know that. yeah they're cool. they're cones. You know he that? explained it to me <laughs> they're cones they're they're cones so that when the train because it was a wheel it, on the tracks if the train tried to take a turn the wheels would try to buck but if it's on a cone they just like slide so the wheels don't actually turn the wheels just like slide up and down the cones along the rails that's the one fact i remember from my trip with that guy so
2: that's, uh, that's actually an interesting one yeah so, so um at, at second city what's uh how, how does it work there because it's i've heard about that a lot and um we've had a few of comedians that went through it as well is it a school or is it like you know is it it is <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is a school and a theater it's weird because it started out as a theater like it was just a theater for sketch reviews and then over time they developed the training center and now i now i feel like at least monetarily like where they how they stay alive as a company they're a fool first i should say and a theater as a way of like almost or like advertising for the school so typically if you're starting blank at second city you go through a program called a through e which is just five levels of basic improv classes and then they have uh, a separate program called improv for actors which is thing else. I didn't do that one. Can you tell? Uh, And then they have a conservatory program, which is another few levels, but you have to like audition. You can't just sign up for classes. You like audition to get in a conservatory. And then from there, hopefully you're either landing on the house teams there or you're auditioning to like get hired to perform. By the time I showed up, because I had done comedy studies, I sort of was allowed to skip the initial stuff so i got to audition for conservatory like right away
2: cool okay
0: which was and pretty cool and you got in it did yeah uh and i was like <laughs> cool. we're doing it five-year plan you know like i was freaking out and then conservatory was really fun i met people there the classes are the best because i feel like you get to meet a bunch of different people and kind of see who you jive with and created an improv team out of sort of partially out of my um conservatory class that sometimes we still do shows just for fun.
2: How, how long ago was that? Eight years ago.
0: Okay. Nine years ago.
2: W- was it easy to kind of tell who was going to like progress uh, pretty far and then who who didn't really have it at that time?
0: Hmm. Sometimes. I feel like sometimes I feel like the, the one thing, the one thing you can never really account for is how hard people are willing to work. Hmm. So I feel like it's easy when you can tell someone has something, like you see them in action, you're like, oh, damn, this person's good. Or like, oh, I see, I can see the potential or whatever, especially having gotten to teach there as well. A, a lot of times the people that are really easy to for you to write off are the ones that take the notes and do the work and slug it out. And they just end up better.
2: The, the people that are more talented coming in, they probably aren't used to having to work for stuff, right?
0: A lot of a lot of times people who kind of come in like sort of hot flame out because they're not used to getting like feedback or like taking taking notes or if you can't take notes like you shouldn't be a performer like Mm -hmm. in in any regard because you're never you're just going to plateau like you you can't ever get better or do anything new.
2: It makes sense. And when you were
1: doing those classes, did you ever like have a lot of people that you just felt like they're just there just for fun or like, were there, like a lot of people
0: just really taking it seriously. I was always surprised by how many people, especially in the improv classes, how many people were like, yeah, I'm a lawyer and I just, I need to get over my fear of public speaking. And this seems like a great way to do that. Or, you know, people are like, my kid is really into improv and comedy. And so I thought it'd be fun to like take some classes and see what's up.
1: So after Second City, like, those performing all the time? or are you just writing stuff? Like, what were you doing after Second City?
0: After I finished the, like, house ensemble stuff, I it was kind of, like, serendipitous timing because they had a general audition to tour with the Second City Touring Company around that point. And I auditioned and got called back and did well at that and uh, got to have a meeting with the producer at the time who was in charge of like hiring people and managing talent. And she was basically like, we don't have openings right now, but we're going to basically keep you on like a short list of people. And as space opens up, you know, just be aware that we may call you and offer you a job maybe three or four months later. That's, that's what happened. Okay. It was, I didn't have too much time in between, before I started touring full-time, but uh, I feel like, yeah, we were just just writing, performing, like it, basically any opportunity I got to, I, I put up an independent show with a friend of mine. We did a two-man show, which is maybe to date the thing I'm the most proud of. It was called One Too Many. Me and my buddy Adam wrote it. And basically we were like, we want to do a, a sketch review that has no blackouts in it. It's just like, it just seamlessly moves from one thing to another. And we wrote this hour long show that was exhausting where we both had to play like 50 characters and it it was, it was a ton of fun. And I I actually, I feel like that's what ended up getting me hired because that same producer came to see that show. And then Adam got hired eventually to tour. So, you know, you're welcome. If you're listening, you're not, you're not in contact with him anymore. He's moving out here pretty soon. I'm just, I'm notoriously bad at keeping up with people that I couldn't reasonably see within 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) like if you live on the far side of town or in another state your someone's name will come up in conversation i'll be like yeah what are they doing i just have a bad habit of like if it's not in the room with me i i have no object permanence yeah i get that (laughs) like a dog (laughs) yeah and i'm the same you know when i hear someone pull up in the driveway i i'm fucking losing it i can't wait who's who is it who is it it could be anyone (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> my um, I have a, a two and a half year old, and my dogs like start barking, he goes out the window, starts yelling with them. That's and
0: shit. I, that's amazing. <laughs> he's a member of the pack. <laughs> yeah, he's like like get off our fucking lawn. Who's, how many dogs do you have?
1: I got two dogs. I got a standard poodle and a labrador. Okay,
0: who's the leader of the three of them?
1: Probably the poodle, and all he's he's pretty alpha. Yeah, and all he's funny as shit. I
0: love it. Yeah. that's great. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah you have a dog right no, i've ever seen pictures i do Instagram. yeah he's probably yeah.
0: well I'm sleeping he's he's basically a lazy big teddy bear those are the best dogs <laughs> truly the best i don't think i could handle an active dog because i'm
1: <laughs> oh no not active. I'm not active, yeah i'm, I'm like active.
0: What? you want to run uh great mm, have fun <laughs> knock yourself yeah, out I'm a, yeah. i'll be right here
1: like, all my houses I always have to have fence yards. I'm like, I'm not walking these dogs. Like they're big dogs. They're going to walk like two miles at least a day. It's like, fuck this noise. Go out there and run. Back Just and go ahead. Again. Yeah.
0: I'll throw a ball.
1: Yeah. All
0: day. <laughs> how do your, how are your dogs when you run into other dogs, like on a street or in a park or something?
1: So they're really like aggressive from far away. But once you get up close with them, they're like sweethearts and all. So, like they see a dog across the street, they're lose loser shit. But the moment they get close it's like,
0: Oh yeah, we're best friends. I love that. <laughs> Just like Seamus. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't do the butt sniff and stuff as as much in public anymore.
2: <laughs> now, when I when I'm at home by myself, though, that's uh, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> hey, everybody needs a hobby. I didn't. Have, I didn't eat mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> when you're touring with that show, what was that like? Like, were you just guys doing like improv shows every night? Like, what was that actually?
0: Yeah, so we toured. It was basically a hybrid show that was classic Second City sketches pulled from just their history of uh, doing sketch reviews for 50, whatever years it was at that point. So it was was sketches from their history sketches that we wrote as a touring company and then improvised bits. So it kind of like we created this, I say we our director created a running order out of those things that we brought and that uh, we pulled from the archive and our improv and just kind of like creates the show. And then every like a couple of months, that show would turn over, right? So we would basically take all of the archive sketches out, replace them with new archive sketches. We would write new material to fill in the gaps, swap out what kinds of improv and who was doing it, take those shows on the road. And the most fun shows, though, were the ones we did in Chicago, for sure.
1: Okay. Just because, like, hometown favorites kind of thing?
0: Yeah, there's something different about playing on a stage you know. And it's weird because I feel like almost everybody I know coming into it from the comedy studies angle was is actually kind of like different because i feel like most people end up moving to chicago because when they're in college the touring company rolls through and they see the touring company show like i i have so many friends who work for second city who have that literally that same story where they're like you know i've just on a happenstance went to see a second city show at my college and I was like whoa where are these guys from I got to learn how to do this and they pack up and they move oh. so it's it's actually unusual that I heard about the classes part before I ever saw a second city performance but the the hometown shows are just different that way like it's people who know what they're going there to see and generally speaking it's a slightly more comedy savvy crowd there's a, a, obviously a lot of repeat customers there because Second City is always in the same place. It's on North and Wells. You know, people come back as opposed to you do your show in um, Des Moines or whatever. And it's like a lot of people who have season tickets to whatever the local theater is. And they're coming and they're like, oh, I don't know what this is. And I've never seen anything like it before. It feels different to play to that sort of crowd than it does to uh, like a crowd who's like, I'm already drunk and I'm here to laugh, you know, (laughs) is like a different vibe. How much
2: do you guys have to adapt to different crowds like when you're when you're doing improv like that?
0: It depends um, the the biggest adaptation we would normally have to do is adjusting a show to make it clean. Oh, okay. We did some shows at American University, which is like a Christian school so we can't there's like certain things we can't talk about and certain words we can't use or doing shows like corporate gigs like they don't want us to like simulate you know, blowing each other on stage. <laughs> so we can't do that. It, those changes are usually pretty easy. It's just a matter of like, you know, substituting a word here and there or like cutting this scene or whatever.
2: That's something you do before you go in. Right. Because I, I know with stand-up, like there's a lot of kind of adjustment based on what like the crowd and it, how how does that play into like improv, like the the real time kind of adaption?
0: I mean, the, the fun thing about it is you can sort of, feel what the crowd is into and what they are not and lean more heavily on the stuff that people are responding to, you know? So it's strange because you go through learning, learning how to improvise and taking the classes. They give you a lot of like things about like do this or like never back down from a choice you've made or like blah, blah, blah. But once you start applying that stuff to a show scenario, a lot of those rules become bendier because you don't want to, commit to a choice you know isn't working you <laughs> learn how to like fold that you know what i mean like that, yeah. that's terrible advice if you do something and the crowd literally boos and one guy like gets up and is like actually like then you know you you got you can't keep <laughs> going you you have to fold that into something else or like turn it on its head you pivot yeah and, you you have yeah. to you know i feel like that's something that that i i hear from my stand-up friends a lot is like you can tell how good a stand up is by how they respond to uh heckling, like how, how they can handle like wrenches being thrown into the routine. <laughs> and the, the, the really fun thing about improv for me is that there is no routine. So you can literally adjust anything you want on the fly. You don't have to worry about like what's coming next or uh, how to make upcoming jokes land. Like, cause you don't know. And you,
1: you said you're uh, with the skits and all you're like kind of reusing, like, older skits that other people have written. Is that weird when you're trying to do like improv stuff, like reliving someone else's thing or is it just more acting at that point? Not,
0: it's more acting, I would say. Okay. And it, there's things that people do that get laughs that like only work for them. So you have to find ways mm. to like make things work that were you're cuz you're at that point if you're on if you're touring someone's some archive scene, You're touring a sketch that was written by the people who are in it. So you're taking not only someone else's performance, but like something they literally wrote for themselves to do. And you're trying to like reenact that. And sometimes it doesn't work because people are writing to the strengths that they have, or like to specific body types, like, but all all kinds of weird factors go into it that just, they don't work. There's a sketch I love that we tried to tour and it just, didn't work called belt which is a really funny sketch about an office like an office environment where the workers employees act like children and the manager acts like an angry dad and he he belts them he beats them (laughs) and we try to run it and i don't know why but like you know for some reason audiences you know in the 90s were like yeah we'll we'll beat stephanie weir with a belt and make her cry and that's hilarious like woohoo but when we try to take that sketch out on tour they were like nope no we don't want you to see we 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 hate this like please stop hitting this woman
2: (laughs) you know like that's hilarious like it sounds like it was pretty outrageous too and and you're bombing and it's like outrageous at the same time
0: you because you it's (laughs) well it hurts it hurts because you you watch the sketch and you're like damn this is funny right and then no one's actually getting hurt like it's not yeah But then you try to do it and you're like, wow, what I suck. Like, what is like, I know this works because I, when I watched the footage and learned this, it worked. It's just, it's different. You know, it was, it was the crowd though. That wasn't, um, I, I, I'm sure that there's just so many factors, right? I think like times have changed since then. I I wouldn't want to watch like what feels like a domestic abuse scene. I don't, I have no interest in that. I don't think that's funny, but There's something about, like, you watch the sketch and you're like, I know Stephanie Weir. I, like, feel like I'm watching her, like, oversell it and, like, ham it up. And it's so funny. And for an audience who's like, we are here with our season tickets to yada yada theater in Grand Rapids. They're like, I don't know who this person is and I don't like them. And now they're beating up this other person. Like, I don't, (laughs) that's not funny. It's a lot of different things. It's like comedy ebbs and flows with like what's happening culturally and it's interesting. What what one actor can do that will be funny, another actor can do exactly the same and just because they're a different person it'll feel completely different.
1: Yeah, cuz there's certain things like one guy can portray as a comedy, other guy can portray as really serious and like depending on how they portray it, it can just be two different entire acts. Yeah. Uh, So when you're doing like those archive skits, like I know you said in Chicago, you have like those fans that come out and see like the, the show like every time, like are there any ones that they're
0: expecting to see every time or is it just more of a rotation? I don't know if there's ones that they're like, Ooh, I hope they do, you know, whatever there's, I feel like there's sketches. There's, there's more sketches that tour in within the touring company that you're like, Oh, bringing this one out again. Like ones that we recognize That are like, it's like a right of, like at some point in your life on tour, you're going to do Pictionary. Like that's a sketch you're going to do, you know, at some point you're going to do the opener from guys, the limit there's sketches that are sort of like evergreen that work really well on tour. They've always worked. They will probably always work and they become kind of staples of the rotation. But in an ideal world, they never want to send the same show to the same place Twice. Like back to back. Right. Yeah. You know, if it's a college show, then all you got to do is wait four years and you can hopefully, uh, no offense, of course, to anyone who's in their seventh year at James Madison right now. It took me five years. (laughs) Whatever. That's fine. Who cares? (laughs) like I it is so what? we've had
1: a few guys that are like all oh, seven plus years of college and they have doctors. whatever
0: <laughs> yeah i don't care i don't yeah, care how long like... it takes you stay honestly if any college students are listening to this my advice to you is stay in college as long as you can
2: chrysler was in there for like 15 years so
0: good
1: <laughs> never leave so after the the touring and all that what was your next step what was the next endeavor you went on
0: uh from there i toured. Totally different show, and then got hired for the resident stages after that at Second City as well.
1: Okay.
0: In the meantime, started a couple of other projects. Chicago rolled out this awful transportation program thing called Ventra, which was like they were changing the way that you had to pay for your, like, to ride the bus. It's basically like they replaced the Metro card or whatever with the new thing. And it was awful. And it was like a disaster. I mean, it sucked. And we, me and my buddy Ollie, who were on a team together I.O., were like, man, this thing sucks. And no one's even apologizing. There's not like they just don't work like half the time. Everything's awful. So we wrote a comedy song about how shitty Ventra was and it, it, it like went viral. <laughs> and then my girlfriend at the time, wife now, uh, and I started a Twitter account that eventually became a book and then somewhere in between and after all that got hired to perform for the resident company. And at that point you're writing your whole show from scratch. So unlike touring where you're pulling from the, you're creating the archive material basically that's going to live on at second city. So I did two resident shows there and that was the best job I've ever had was being on the stage at ETC for sure.
2: What made what made that elevated
0: above everything else? I think there's first of all a camaraderie you develop with the other people in your cast when you start with literally nothing, and you're all walking into zero, and then you build a show from nothing.
1: Yeah, because it's a blank slate. At all That's yeah, awesome. and
0: and it's it's from trial and error, right? Like we're we're creating new material, we're testing it live sometimes that night. And then we're like, wow, that fucking sucked. Or like, ooh, that's close. Or like, there's something here. What do we do with it? And it fail or success feels good. Because you're like, ha, ha, ha. This is a funny story about the time I thought this Ghostbusters parody sketch would be hilarious. And it ate <laughs> hot shit. Or the time where you like put something up and it just out the gate, like it works. And you're like, ooh, that also feels good. And you're building this thing together and you like learn what people are good at. And as you're writing, you're like, oh, I know so-and-so would crush this and you're giving them things and they're giving you things. And then when you finish that process and the show is set, it's your show. You're running your show for like a year. And every time you perform it, you're like, we made this. And you know we're showing it to however many people per night wander through here. And it's just, I don't know, it's just something else to like roll up into a place and be like, not only am I getting to perform for people, but I'm like, this is this is mine. I like feel an ownership of this thing. That's awesome. These things will live on forever, right? Those archives, so people will be performing your skits, yeah, like, indefinitely. Yeah, that's so cool.
2: <laughs> that's cool.
0: After I moved away, I would like my buddy Adam, who ended up also touring, te- would text me periodically, or like people that I toured with who are still touring would text me and be like, "Hey, they're they're doing such and such uh, on in the Green Co touring company right now." I'd be like, "Oh my god, that's so funny," or sometimes they'd be like, "Hey, they're doing this sketch," and I'd be like, "Okay," and then Claire <laughs> would be like, "You—that's you wrote that one," and I'd be like, "Oh, oh, all right." <laughs> like you forget, like especially by the end of that process, everybody feels like they've had a piece of everything. Like I'm not—if I'm writing something for Josh and I'm like, "Here we go, Josh, let's do it," and Josh like puts his own spin on it or like improvises a couple of lines, if they work, I'm not going to be like. Seamus, you see Josh fuck up my sketch? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a fucking asshole.
2: Yeah, what a piece of human garbage. Yes. He's an absolute control freak. Like you, you can't you can't write anything for
0: him. I can't believe he's been allowed to have a kid and two dogs.
2: I know, right? Yeah, he, he keeps his kid in the fucking cage. Did you know that? Because he doesn't want to deal with them. I didn't know that, but I believe you. <laughs> He just turns the TV on and keeps him in the cage. Yeah.
0: like that never happens. If Josh kills it and slays it and puts new lines in my thing, I change the script to match what he did. because yeah, I'm like, I want this to be as good as it can possibly be. So by the end of it, everybody's basically written everything. It's you, it's totally amorphous. I'm gonna say when instead of if. When I get to run my own shows or like or like become a showrunner and put my own rooms together, that's the environment I want to cultivate is like everybody gets a piece of everything. It just changes the way you feel about the work.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's cool though. Cause like, cause everyone tweaks and everyone has like their own hand in it. It just morphs and it just, every it's adapts and all. And so yeah. it's a little bit of everything.
0: A show that is like six people, like combined into one thing is always going to be better than a show of six people showcasing themselves. It's just, it's always going to be a superior show. Yeah, I've, we've all seen Power Rangers, obviously. <laughs> you put them; they they interlock. The toys' hands popped out when you pushed the thing. So
1: uh, it's funny. Like you, you were even like talking like about people in your groups as like your teammates. Like, is it like an like, actual team? Like, do you feel like an, like a sports team? Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I, especially because you're always with that Less, maybe less so sketch than improv. Improv is, I, I think, a sport is the most apt comparison. For improv, because you know, when you have a baseball team, you can't plan what's going to happen inning by inning. You have to respond in the moment. But you can do drills, you know, like and, and improv is the same, where you can like you can practice doing this thing or like get reps on this kind of scene or like working with this kind of dynamic or whatever. In the same way that you can do batting practice or grounder drills or whatever for a baseball team. But then when the lights come up you're implementing the things you practice in a live kind of like environment. How'd you line up the audition at SNL? Oh boy. That makes it sound like I did something. The truth is, is pretty much every show that's put up at on the second city resident stages. At some point, the producers of Saturday night live roll through and watch the shows and like, look at people and this poach yeah they they well they're yeah. scouting right it's like Not poaching but yeah scouting, yeah, yeah, it's uh, sport, uh, sports all over again right they yeah. are, you're, the minor, you're like the exactly, minor league kind exactly of thing right yeah, yeah um and they do the same thing they make their way to the west coast they go i think to florida they go to i mean of course they browse people in new york i think they used to also go to toronto i don't know if that's still a thing but there's like places they go and specific theaters they go to scout talent talent. yeah to recruit talent and the show that we put up it was my second resident show they came through and they were like look we really love the show we'd love to meet the entire cast for drinks and that's like phase one of the process i don't even think we did drinks though because we ended up coming in the middle of the day The, the basically phase one of the of their scouting process is they identify people they like and then they're like, all right, let's meet them and have a short chat to see, like, if they're crazy, like if they're impossible to work with, you know, we can't then why would we hire them no matter how funny they are. Yeah. So we did that in the when they asked us to come out. Our producer basically called us up individually and was like, hey, are you free? Like they want to meet you. Um, I was in the checkout aisle of a grocery store wearing a T-shirt with Ursula's face on it from <laughs> The Little Mermaid. <laughs> And I was like, ah, all right, well, is everyone going? And Beth was like, yeah. And I was like, all right, but I'm not changing. And she was like, okay. I, she didn't know what I was wearing, so she didn't care. But, <laughs> so I went to, you know, sat across from like Steve Higgins and Lauren in my fucking purple <laughs> Ursula shirt, uh, talking about where I see myself in five years and shit like that. Uh, and then like a week later, they said, uh, you know, there's four of you we'd like to fly out to screen test and i was like whoa my god my mind was blown and typically when they're rolling around looking for people they're seeing solo showcases people doing like characters and bits and stuff so i was like well what do you want me to do like i i what do you what do you need and they were like oh just do your type 5 and i was like you got it um and i hung up and i was like i don't have a type 5 <laughs> and fortunately for me no one else on our show had one because we'd been performing full-time we didn't have we basically didn't have we didn't have evenings to do testing material and stuff so we basically had like four days to turn around and write like an audition showcase for snl and we used basically after the shows we were like hey and if anyone wants to stick around we're going to do some like improvised bits we're going to test some material some stuff that's never been seen before if you want to stick around you can and the crowds often did and we like tested bits that way for like three days and wrote a type five and flew out and did it and it was nerve-wracking and i sweated profusely but it was wild just like what just the experience of walking out onto that soundstage because you audition where the monologues happen like at home base oh they put you there when the there's no band so it's just empty behind you they film it and then at a long table in front of you, the senior cast members, the head writers, supervising oh. writers, and the and like Lauren and the producers. And you're just like Jesus Christ, that's like any, everyone whose opinion I could ever possibly care about is like <laughs> 15 feet from me. And then they give you the five minutes and you do it and you're done. You know, it's crazy. It went well. I guess so. Later that night we were like, we did it. We auditioned for SNL. That's like the number of people who even made it this far is like crazy low. Like let's go celebrate. So we're all slamming like cheap, well drinks and like $2 oysters uh, to celebrate (laughs) being in New York. And we're supposed to fly back the next day. And at like 11 PM, two of the four of us that flew out, we got a call basically saying like, can you stay an extra day? And we were like, yes. So, We stayed an extra day. They showed us around the 17th floor where all the offices are. We met and talked with the supervising writers and we didn't get to meet Lorne, but we talked to like his assistants and producers. And then they sent us home and we were all like, that's it. Great job. But we're done now. Like a week later, I got a phone call asking if I could move there in like four days to start writing the show. (laughs) So it was like truly a nonstop whirlwind from like from meeting them in Chicago to working there where every step of the way you're like, well, that clearly this won't go anywhere else. (laughs) And then doing the next thing and being like, well, now that was nuts. And then doing the next thing and, you know, and then next thing I know, I'm living in the hotel across the street trying to find an apartment while also (laughs) writing sketches
1: when you were uh, at Second City, like was this ever on your radar as like, a thing that could happen or was it
0: just like in the back of your mind? You know, I the pipeline steers you that direction where it's like you do this, mm-hmm. you go here. It's a known fact that it's a great way to get seen as being on the stages and you could land a job at SNL that way. But I, I'd always envisioned myself like writing material as opposed to performing, which I guess is weird because I was a performer at the time. And I guess I, I'd always considered myself like heading towards like making my own shows or like writing in for like sitcoms and stuff. That was like where my vision was for myself. I kind of auditioned as like a, damn, no one ever gets to do this sort of thing. Never envisioning that doing the screen test could lead to writing opportunities, but that's how they hire their writers too, is they, you know, they want uh, first and foremost people that they can look at and be like, okay. You're funny. We can have you. You can contribute to sketches. You can contribute to a writer's room, and I just got lucky. Very plain and simple.
2: So, what's um, what's the writer's room like at SNL? Writer's
0: room is less of a room until the sketches are chosen. The typical process throughout the week is Monday is pitch day. So you bring in your pitches. You the, you meet the hosts. You pitch them your ideas. Hopefully they laugh and they're comfortable. Sometimes. No one laughs, and they. You're not, you're not comfortable, and and you're like cool. I look like an idiot in front of John Mulaney. Great, right? yeah. and then uh, that true story. I the only pitch I remember is the one that fucking bombed, and it was John Mulaney was hosting, and I pitched him an idea, and nobody laughed, and it was like crickets, and I like just looked down, like I you just I just knew I was like. I just looked down and he leaned forward in his chair and he said, I like that pitch very much. And it was very nice of him. He's a super sweet guy, but I knew he was lying. (laughs) I knew he was lying. And I was like, damn, when another like comedy person, someone who's had my job feels like they have to like pump me up. That's when, you know, you shit the bed really. (laughs) But so that's step one is you pitch your thing. Tuesday, is writing night. So you show up at like whatever time and you write usually until like nine in the morning the next day. So you're all nighting it and you're attaching to other people's sketches. So it's very much like everybody kind of disperses. And, uh, you know, I'm writing something with Andrew muse this week. So me and him meet up and we hang out and we like work on it. And then someone else comes by and they're like, hey, Andrew, do you have a minute to work on this? And I'm like, yeah, go you two go ahead. I'm going to go work on this other thing. And it's just people like rearranging like little puzzle pieces into whatever teams are working on stuff that week. And then you submit them. Wednesday's read-through takes forever. You're exhausted. You're crammed in this like uh, big boardroom with all of ensemble members around the table and Lauren at the head. And you're in the audience like with this packet of scripts, like 200 pages long. Um, You hear them all out loud. You either start getting your hopes up that your stuff's going to go or you feel like absolute shit that you ever thought to put your name on something Uh, (laughs) and then uh, like around midnight or 11 p.m. somewhere in there they have it's like um, if you ever audition for a play in high school Seamus I know you know what I'm talking about Uh,
2: uh, elementary school but
0: yeah that's my guy okay so it's but it's literally like that where they have a, a, a list on the wall of all the sketches that were read that week so it'll be like blah 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 oh. by yada 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 and then the writer's assistant will get a call from Lauren's office where Lauren the producers and the hosts have been discussing this whole time they'll get a call and the writer's assistant will stand up and start circling the sketches that are going so everyone's just like standing around like watching to see if their thing goes so you got pick for little league yeah it's exactly like that and you're like okay something of mine went mm, i I'm the, I'm the i'm the king of this week and then it pretty much if something of yours goes, you immediately walk down the hall. And keep in mind, you haven't slept for like 36 hours at this point. And you're meeting with hair, makeup, costuming, production design, special effects, props. You meet all those people because you become kind of like the producer of that sketch. So they're like, all right, what do you want? uh aquafina to look like in this sketch and you're like fuck i don't know i didn't even think it would go um (laughs) give her a wig you know like you don't know and then you they're like all right so uh this is the area of the soundstage we're going to devote to this sketch we're going to put the classic classroom walls back there the setup's going to be like this and you're like great just make sure for this part where they have to have a fight where they're on each other's shoulders that there's room for them to like back up and trip into the wall which is in the script And then they go, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. And they literally like change the set design in front of you with pencil. And then you go to the special effects guy and he's like, are we doing blood? And you're like, (laughs) no, I'm sorry, man. Not this week. And then he's sad because there's never enough special effects on that show. (laughs) (laughs) And and then you go home and you sleep. And then Thursday and Friday are where you become like a writer's room where everyone sits around the table. You reread it you everyone offers suggestions everyone punches up each other's stuff you're looking for cuts you're looking for punch-ups and that's where like the work like the sausage gets ground up and like remade so damn that was like a 20 minute answer to the question what was the writer's room like
1: no no that was awesome
0: no you you got all the information i wanted to get without me having
2: to ask another question yeah i'm pretty good at this (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know what i like
1: hey it sounds it sounds awesome and so miserable at the same time. It's just like a hurricane. It just has like, it happens every week. Yeah. Like, and, and then you do, you it, do it again. Saturday <laughs> night, the show
0: happens. You and, and all of Saturday you're rewriting it. You you rewrite again between dress and air, which is like a literally a 20-minute window, as long as it takes room to get people out of the goddamn sound stage and then put the next audience in you're rewriting at that point where they're like, yeah, you got to cut a minute out of this. And you're like, how it's only two <laughs> minutes long. And then you're literally with pencil, you're crossing shit out and running to the script room and handing it off to the scripting people. So they can like make the changes and have the cue card guys like put, they, they use like white tape and they'll just white tape over the parts of the card that are, they're not using anymore. And then like write the new lines in the craziest thing about SNL is that it gets made every week. Like, truly, like, because it's all it's all happening. Never underestimate the magic of that show literally being live because stuff changed 30 seconds before the sketch you're watching. That sketch was a different sketch. That's amazing. It's wild. So crazy. And that the performers are able to keep it all straight. And like, it's intense. They're in the writer's room with you, right? Like, while that's happening. And they're writing as well. So Tuesday night, they write with us. And then past that point, our job's kind of split because they're filming the pre tape segments and the digital shorts or they're camera blocking or they're getting fitted for costumes. Like they, they have all kinds of shit they have to do while we're like tinkering and rewriting and like working the production side of it.
2: So they've, they've got to take whatever your writing is and, and perform it. They don't have much input after that.
0: Kind of. Yeah. You know, the, the writer attached to it, even if. So they they have there's an order to the byline, which is like the first person on it. So if me, you and and Josh wrote a sketch together, and I was like, Hey, I have this idea for a sketch where AD Bryant is a dog trainer who falls down a lot. And you're you but you guys are like, damn, that's so funny and original, Alan. What a great idea. We'd love to work on it with you. So we write it. My name comes first on the byline because it was my idea. And then you guys are second. So even if a performer's name is on the byline first. Who, whatever writer's name is first on the byline, kind of like takes control of the execution of that script. So, for rewrites and stuff, they'll bring, let's say, because Mikey Day writes a lot of his own stuff uh, with one of the script supervisors, or excuse me, writing supervisors, Streeter. They're like a writing duo, and first of all, they're incredible. Um, but second of all, so whenever they, whenever we're workshopping a, a Streeter. Mikey sketch, they'll bring Mikey in to the rewrite table so we can like bounce stuff off of him. But at the end of the day, if there's like things that need to change or be put in with script or, you know, some costume element has to change or whatever, Streeter's the one who's responsible for going and doing that thing and making sure it gets executed.
2: Like how how much of a
0: better writer do you feel like you are after going through that experience for a year? I think you get better with everything you write. Like mm-hmm. everything you write Makes you a better writer in the same way that like every weight you lift makes you slightly stronger. So just on the virtue of being having written so much, I've become a better writer. I think the thing that that job specifically made me better at and like developed in a, as a skill in me is churning out material quickly at a certain quality level. Because when you have one day to write three sketches, you don't have time. But what I what I got good at at Second City was creating good sketches. And that was something that I had the benefit of like, over the course of a week, I could put something up in front of a live audience three times and try different stuff and like workshop it and and be like, okay, I've revised this 20 times and now it's good to go. What SNL trained me to do was I can churn this out in like five hours, put it aside, come back to it, take another pass at it for another four hours and revise it. And on the second draft, it's it's in a place where it could potentially go into, the show. So, just a different skill set, I would say, uh, than like improving my writing as some blanket.
2: That's, that seems super valuable though. Being able to being able to quickly identify what's good and what isn't.
0: It is. It is, and it's made me better at other writing jobs, especially ones with fast turnaround times. Just being able to be like, great, yeah, I can bang that out in like two hours. And then someone else can take a pass through it and clean it up and it's done. Like That feels really good.
1: So what are you uh, working on now that uh, SNL's over?
0: Right now, a friend of mine who is also my writing partner and I are about to go into some meetings, hopefully to develop a movie idea that we have put a treatment together for. So we'll see how that goes. That's kind of all I can say about that. But fingers crossed and, you know, nine times out of 10, it won't. That's just the way this uh, business goes. I mean, like even things that get bought oftentimes don't end up getting made. So (laughs) one step at a time, I'm writing kind of all the time, you know, since I finished, I've been writing copy for, I don't know. Do you know who Sophia Bush is?
1: Mm -mm.
0: No. She's an actor. Um, I've been writing copy. She does a podcast uh, called Work in Progress plug but
1: <laughs> say plugs at <to> the end
0: <laughs> plug I, I it doesn't count if i'm not plugging myself but uh <laughs> i write uh i write copy for her and like do research for her podcast and like other copy related jobs for different things like that punching up scripts
2: things like that this is mostly freelance work
0: yeah i mean truly even when you're employed the weird thing about uh writing for television is like even when you're employed you're basically still a freelancer because if the show gets canceled, or they, you know, they don't renew your contract, or the network collapse, like any myriad number of things happen, you're just out of a job again. Like the, your your job is totally dependent on the success and decision making of a bunch of things that are completely out of your control.
1: It might not even be success. Sometimes the show gets canceled for like no real reason
0: yep. or no real. And then yeah. revive. That's really like, hard industry. You know, yeah. It's like AP Bio went down for no reason. Great show, and then got revived thank goodness but you know you, you write on that show for two seasons just because you're you're on your third season of a show doesn't mean you have job security like the show yeah. ends or gets cut or canceled or whatever and you're back out there looking for a staff job again
1: so what's some of your uh what would be some of your goals besides obviously the the feature you're working on right now uh what else do you want to accomplish
0: my still my number one goal is to run my own show like to create mm-hmm. uh probably a sitcom maybe an animated show that is mine you know it says like created by on the opening credits run the room and just like would love to try to create from the ground up that same sense of like camaraderie whatever whatever that like magic was that made my uh time on the second city resident stage so magical yeah i I want to recreate that in in an environment where like tv like something that feels permanent like it, it's uh, you know no oh, that sounds beautiful thanks
2: man yeah, yeah. you know that's the dream <laughs>
0: i'm all for it man
1: i have a couple of quick lightning round questions we'll start wrapping this up do you have any other questions for alan
2: we can go go to lightning round all right
1: alan uh some of these are snl based on hopefully you're an sll fan uh since you worked on it <laughs> <laughs> fuck that i show, don't know TV. what the l
0: stands for <laughs> no one would tell me
1: <laughs> what was your uh, favorite snl skit like that one that you personally did, but just ever, yeah. Oh
0: fuck! Uh, oh my god. Can I count ones that were cut or never got made?
1: I, I guess, but I kind of okay, lose okay, a little okay, bit of yeah, magic yeah, you're right, you're the right, audience.
0: <laughs> okay, my favorite SNL sketch of all time. Holy crap! Wow. I mean, I was a big fan of the SNL digital shorts from the yeah. Andy Samberg era, so okay, probably. As simple and dumb as it's going to sound, the people getting punched in the face before eating sketch. I was like, this is next level comedy. Like that was, yeah, I was like, it's perfect. It doesn't even have a plot. Like I just, I don't know. It it did something to me mentally that changed me.
1: Who's your favorite uh, performer?
0: At SNL or ever? Yeah, Uh, Uh, SNL. Wow. Favorite performer at SNL uh, of all time. I'll tell you, I know these are lightning round questions and I'm overthinking them. That's okay. So You you, you can give us like top three if that's easier. Okay. I can do, I can do top three easily. Okay. He says before stalling for another 45 (laughs) seconds. Yeah.
1: Uh, Can we do top five, top 10?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Why don't I do, why don't I just rank all of them in order? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Favorite SNL performers of all time, man, number one, God, I love Vanessa Bayer. I think Vanessa Bayer is a criminally (laughs) underrated comedy person and she's not even that underrated, but she's still underrated. Like whatever, wherever you're putting her in your mind, she deserves to be higher than that. And this is in no particular order. Number two, Bill Hader. Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. could just, could just do anything. (laughs) And then, I mean, I'm a big Kate McKinnon stand too. I'm I'm a big fan of McKinnon. I love Kate McKinnon. And then, of course, special shout out to Keenan who has, like, first of all, is a joy uh, and just a, a wonderful person, but also has, like, basically seamlessly kept that show chugging along for, like, 20 years. You know,
2: yeah, he's been on there a
0: long time. He has, and yeah, he yeah. deserves it. I, I think the show would be different and worse if he hadn't been there for the entirety of the time he has been there.
1: Who's your favorite Estelle uh, host?
0: My my favorite host for sure that I got to work with was Paul Rudd. Um, okay, so he's because like a nice guy. he is he's a really nice guy. He's willing to do whatever. He took an interest in like he was like, well, what if I do this? Would this be funny? Like he offers suggestions like that. He wasn't afraid to do that, and his suggestions were actually really good, and we used some of them. Okay, so yeah, that was great. It was great to have someone who was like willing to do whatever, and also he had like a really strong comedic sense for like what would work and what would be funny if he did it.
1: Yeah, no, he's he's definitely one of those people I would love to meet, and all he seems cool as fuck. He, he, yeah, yeah, he really is. All right, what was what's the best Chicago food? Pizza, dogs, beef.
0: You know what? You can't, you literally can't eat any better than a fully dipped Portillo's Italian beef with the hot peppers on it.
1: Dude, I, I, I think the beef's the secret play that everyone fucks up on by not getting the beef. They always do pizza or dogs. No, it's,
0: it's the Chicago, Chicago beef, beef just, dude. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> and afterward, you hate yourself because oh, your yeah. blood congeals. You can feel your heart <laughs> is like trying to pump syrup through your body and your head hurts and your stomach has condensed to like just this ball of dark matter. It's awful, and you would do it again. You would do it again. Oh, yeah. you, you want to go back through the line already?
1: Oh, I dream about it. I dream about it all the oh, time. I've been to Chicago in like a year and a half, and
2: it's kind of funny. There's in, in Lee County, Florida, Southwest Florida. There's like four Chicago beef places. Get, it's like, it's... Go! <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, yeah, here? No, we, we, I, I go. I go. Talk, <laughs> I, I actually,
0: I, I actually go back through the line i'm jealous right now now i'm mad at you guys because i'm gonna get off this call and all i want now is a chicago beef and i'm gonna go eat like a day-old spaghetti or whatever what's your uh, favorite board game i'm a dungeons and dragons guy i love okay tabletop role-playing games i enjoy it i think it's fun
1: what uh what was your class or are you a dm
0: uh i usually end up dming i have a character right now who is a kobold rogue whose name is big mclarge huge
1: <laughs> are you one of those dms that try to be funny and shit
0: no i i mean okay. i just roll with whatever i feel like if you're gonna dm you have to be prepared to run the game that the table wants you know so
1: and it's actually awesome because like with all the improv like dming has to be like super easy for you to be able a roll of anything
0: what it does is it makes me a very lazy gm because i'm like i i'm not gonna prep i'll just and then they're like we should go talk to blah 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 mcflorenstein and i'm like who and i have to like thumb back through my notes because i just made up a motherfucker and i don't know who he is or (laughs)
2: mcflorenstein i I like that
0: and then my notes suck because it's like i'll I'll write down i'll write down blah you know so-and-so guy tavern owner and then in parentheses i'll write like yosemite sam and i'm like all right i guess that's the voice and then (laughs) is it no helpful information whatsoever they're like hey we did that quest and he's like Oh, rootin', tootin', oh, what quest? Do you uh, like? I don't, I don't know. I have no. I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs>
1: we usually ask one last question for guests on the show. Any words of wisdom for someone's wanting to start, like either improv or comedy or writing? Anything you wish you would have learned or had told to you when you were younger?
0: Just do it. Like, just do it. You know, there's. You. You'll only get better at it by doing it. And no one can stop you like that. You you don't wait for anybody's permission to start doing the things that you want to do with your life, whether that's comedy or anything else, just start doing it that no, literally if you get a cease and desist, then you stop. But like we do it harder, whatever. I mean, look, if you have the money, yeah, (laughs) pay the fines. I don't know. (laughs)
1: just do it or don't pay the fines whatever just do
0: it just do it and be okay with it. Training order like yeah whatever whatever if if you get if the house of mouse comes down on you you, whatever you're (laughs) gonna lose that's just the way it is but just do it and don't be afraid to suck because the specials you love right now the stand-ups you see that hour-long show or whatever is the remnants of 50 hours of material that they pared down and changed 49 of which sucked So don't be afraid to suck and like know that at the end of the day, the things that you're putting out there and that people are seeing, that's the best of you and you don't have to carry around like the the growing pains and the stuff that f- make you feel bad. Like you don't have to take that with you on your journey. You just don't need it. That's, that's good advice. Yeah. Yeah, it is.
1: Alan, we really enjoyed talking to you tonight. You're, you're a really cool guy. Yeah where can our listeners find more of you and in, in your work and all that kind of stuff? Ooh,
0: that's a good question. My work has appeared in several books, including one college textbook, believe it or not. Okay. So I don't know, Google it. It's whatever. Just Google it. If you're really, if you're really curious, but I guess on the back of talking about Dungeons and Dragons and role playing stuff, uh, me and some of my other buddies who are all comedians, actors, etc. Um, do a monster of the week podcast called mystery County monster hunters club. And it's very fun. They crack me up a lot. It's super stupid. If you're into like Buffy, the vampire slayer or Sabrina or any of those teenage, witch focused shows, you'll probably like it.
2: Thanks a lot for coming on. We we had a, we had a great time. Yeah. My pleasure. I'm sorry. I ramble so much. No, you're good. A lot of people apologize for talking too much on our podcast. I'm like, why are you apologizing for giving us content? Doesn't <laughs> That's true. Make any sense.
0: But uh, no, no, know. Yeah, I should What's be you billing know? you for overtime, is what I should be doing. Yeah, yeah, I
2: know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but thanks for having me, you guys. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah you're cool as yeah, fuck. Fun. Yeah. All
1: right. <laughs> All right, Alan, Have a great night. You man. too, man. Do appreciate Good to meet it. you guys. Yeah, I know. He was, he was very cool. It was it's fun. interesting about that second city because I, I think he's like the fourth or fifth person now. That we've had on that that's gone through that and especially in the chicago scene
2: yeah it's so powerful powerful this cool, cool guy it was fun fucked around with me a little bit that was fun yeah,
1: yeah. Like he was busting balls yeah, like that it that usually doesn't happen too often but the uh the rundown of the the week of snl dude that is so miserable sounding but at the same time it sounds
2: awesome i i think it, I, yeah i think it's it was that was really cool to to, to hear about like, I've, yeah. I've always kind of wondered how that worked it's it's yeah 30 rock doesn't do it justice <laughs> <laughs> no no I, I like that show but
1: yeah i like the show as well yeah I
2: like but it's definitely not us like now. dr spaceman thank you all for listening if you would like to support the wwsd podcast check out our patreon at patreon.com slash wwsd underscore podcast make sure you like and subscribe on our facebook instagram and twitter <laughs> Yeah, that's that's cool, man. Thanks, Seamus
0: I, Any any time, I'm, I'm here for you, man. I'm here for you. You got it. dude. Um, <laughs> I, need, I need you as a hype man. Oh
2: yeah, I'm I'm a, I th- you don't want to. I think time. I'm good at that. I don't know. Oh god, you're not good at hyping yourself. I'm a I'm I'm terrible <laughs> at uh I'm terrible at at I'm terrible to, to work with. Yeah.
0: Anyway. <laughs> I do. I really love the idea of you interviewing to be someone's hype man and then being like, are you good at this? And you being like, I don't know. I'm not not really. uh, uh, I'm I I'm good at I'm good at helping other
2: people.